you as a business, especially in a creative field, you don't run your business on good enough. You want to be outstanding, exceptional, creatively, just simply stand out. And if you want to stand out, you will look for ways how to do that. It's how to talk to AI with your hosts, Go to Go and West the Synthmine. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dogs, cats, robots, and everybody in between, especially you AI-generated dancing Greek statues, this is HTTTA, How to Talk to AI. I am your host, back again, the Synthmine Wes, and I am joined, as always, by the great, the prompt gourmet, the groundbreaking, the gentle, generous, grand, gregarious hostess with the mostess, Miss go to go G, how are you this week? Hello, I am great. I'm so happy you are back. Just one episode and I missed your intros. Your intros are great. <laughs> well, hey, you did a grand job last week while I was out downloading upgrades. You were happy with the podcast? How could I not be? Yeah, Shud was fantastic. He's amazing to talk to. Yeah, he's And I'm guy. just so happy that he stepped in and joined me on a podcast. But that being said, I'm very happy that we get again to jazz about all things AI and yeah. how to talk to AI. How are you doing, by the way? I'm doing well. I'm doing better. But I want to hear about not how to talk to AI, how you told people to talk to AI. You recently spoke at a conference here, if I'm not mistaken, about our beloved subject of how to talk to AI. What did that kind of entail? Yeah, that was a new experience. I used to have some corporate talks before, so this was a bit different. It was keynote plus panel discussion with our speakers. And the funny part was that, so the first thing, panel discussion was four Germans and me, and moderator was asking questions in German. So I was basically challenged with my, you know, German knowledge. It's just like, okay, 90%, I would say I understood, but sometimes I was like, I'm zoning out. Like, I really need to tense my brain to listen. What, you don't have a probabilistic method of responding to a different language, much like a LLM does? No, not yet. No, but it was great. So the talk, my keynote was about prompt engineering. It was received very well. And funny enough, so in a couple of days... I was invited to also speak at German ministry or embassy, something like that. Oh, look at you, Ambassador Gomez. Yeah, right. So I do enjoy it and the whole prompt engineering part because the audience was a lot of PhDs, technical people, but also business owners and agency owners. So, you know, it was kind of this interesting balance. I was touching on the future of prompt engineering, the way I see it. There are kind of two separate routes that it can take. Let me know if you want to dive into that. I'm happy to do that. We've had offline discussions about this before, but I, I do rather your kind of analogy for the two routes prompt engineering you foresee it going, I think resonates with me at least, probably would with our listeners. Could you uh, maybe kind of outline that you know, like you did in your talk? Sure. I think we touched on this Reddit post, which said basically prompt engineering is so easy. Anybody who is telling you otherwise is a clown. And I remember when I saw this, I read comments and I was like, in a way, I do agree because it's not like rocket science. It is in a way easy and you can learn it if you want to learn it. And then it kind of got me thinking that there is two aspects to that, right? 
And in our kind of unlearn prompting description of prompt engineering, there's two keywords. There's communicating and effectively. So basically the two routes I outlined was one route is easy communication and one is effective. And my whole spiel is that if you manage people, if you hired people, if you had personal assistant or just, you know, managerial position, you probably learned that easy communication doesn't mean it's effective communication. Right. And I think the same applies to prompt engineering. And the truth is, or at least my point of view, that 99% of people will be in an easy communication route, meaning sure. we will have AI tools integrated in Microsoft suite. We will have Google with all the, you know, pre-prompted boxes where you just in natural language, almost the same as you do now in Google, just kind of giving just instruction and everything is predefined. Or you select buttons of what should be the tone of voice. They placed also auto GPT in that direction that you give a goal and AI just goes and executes tasks, prompts itself, right? So that's kind of easy route of communication. And on the flip side, the effective route is prompt hacking, prompt optimization, fine-tuning of the models. And the point is that not everybody needs to be an expert. And it's okay that that's 1%. And kind of rounding up this, you know, two paths coming together was this idea that if you, in the future or even now, if you give the same task to 10 people in your agency or in your business, it can be marketing proposal, business proposal, wherever it is in a creative or even, you know, business side. And if nine people out of 10 use it in Google Docs in easy way of communication, the point is that most likely the results those nine people will produce will be on average good and everyone will be clapping. People execute a task very fast. But then your competitor hires that one person who knows inside out AI, knows how to control exactly to get this AI model to push to the limits and get it act precisely to what the client, for example, wants. And the whole idea out of that was that why, as a business owner, would you fire nine people in your business who you know, know your business inside out? Why, instead of upgrading them with this AI skills, teaching them how to, you know, getting them on courses, getting them on learn prompting, getting them on one more exciting course, which you will exactly. talk about. And then actually you give superpowers to your people who already know your business and know how things function. So yeah, and then of course, there was a lot of other details and examples, how you can use it. But yeah, the main kind of idea is of these kind of two different routes of easy communication and effective communication. And we will see, you know, the reality is that nobody knows. We will see how everything unfolds. Sure. Another thing during panel discussion, another idea, you know, was that regulations are coming. EU has its own thing. I think US is going to be working on something on their side. And in a way, However, it's going to look like businesses need some sort of stamp of approval for security, for confidence, to also even just in front of their customers. And you kind of have a choice to say that, oh, no, it's not regulated as a business or as a person. I'm not going to use it. It's bad. The truth is the genie is out of the box. And whenever it happens that 
regulations come and everyone is confident, every single business will jump on it and be like, oh, now we are good and we can use it. So you as individual person, in the meantime, while it's Wild West or Wild West, <laughs> in the meantime, you can actually develop this competitive edge. And once businesses are going to be looking all into this one expert, you can be already so much ahead. But there's a lot of unknown. I'm glad you at least touched on and put something like the Microsoft AI tools in that kind of 99%, because while you're still speculating, I think there's evidence now that does point to the fact that a lot of these quote unquote prompt engineering, the prompting of these AI models in these big tools are going to be kind of normalized and optimized. The way the actual Microsoft AI workflow goes is anytime a user types something in to ask the AI to produce a PowerPoint presentation, make a, a newsletter for me, whatever, it does a pass through this thing called the Microsoft Graph, which is a big machine learning tool that optimizes stuff that kind of goes, okay, they were kind of vague in this sentence, so they must mean this. Well, over time, all that optimization is gonna shave off a little bit of that creativity because people are gonna want to be able to type a sentence and have a nearly realized PowerPoint presentation. But that doesn't take advantage of the fact that if you're working in parallel with these tools, you can take your creativity to levels beyond that could have been to begin with because the commodity of execution, actually having to make the presentation or type the letter, that burden is no longer on the person. They can just focus on, oh, how can I make this the best version of the thing that I'm trying to make? Yeah, and I think on a basic example, it's so evident that if you even now go to ChatGPT, which I think now widely adopt a tool. It's actually the t one of the top 20 sites visited on the internet now. Like overall, I think it's like number 17, 1.8 billion visits a month. Yeah, not surprised. And if you go there and you just say, write me a blog post about this and that, that's it. Easy. And then you will get something maybe full of hallucinations and bias and wrong facts, but you will get something, right? Yeah. And as a contrast, you can go full on with role prompting, with instructions, with even prompt injection, and you will immediately see huge difference. And this is what I mean that, yes, on Microsoft, as I said, it's going to be optimized and people will get something and it will be good enough. But then other nine people will also have something good enough. That's good so enough. So you as a business, especially in a creative field, you don't run your business on good enough. You want to be outstanding, exceptional, creatively, just simply stand out. And if you want to stand out, you will look for ways how to do that. Right. Well, I'm glad you also mentioned hallucination. I was just kind of thinking on that. I don't know if that's something we've really delved into in detail on this podcast. So for those that don't know, that is a term, all right, that refers to when language models produce something that is confidently incorrect that it's total BS that is made up. And the reason that happens is language models in of themselves, while they may seem like these mythical sentient creatures with a little person in there or, or entity or synthesized thing doing the responding, they are solving a math problem. They are probabilistic models that go, I've been trained on the entirety of the internet. I know 55,000 words or however many words I know, words and symbols and characters. So given this input prompt that someone types, what is the most probabilistic response given what I know and the words I know how to comprise it? So it can give you something that, as you say, is a good enough answer, is the best answer 
based on probability, but it's going to solve the problem every time, even if it's got to fill in the gaps a little bit. Am I right? This topic, I think, is very important and not talked enough. And I'm happy that we are touching on this on the ninth episode of this podcast. Because what I worry about is education system. It needs to change. And I think AI is the tool that can really transform it and change it. Alongside, I think, AR and VR for kids learning, for example. But the thing is that this fact that if you're asking questions and you are not an expert in the topic, and you don't know how to prompt properly, the amount of times you will get wrong answers. And if you're going with a notion that you want to learn, and now suddenly you're learning wrong thing, it's just, in a way, kind of like counterproductive, you know? So that needs to be solved. And for the video I just did about hallucinations, during the video filming, I was like, let me try to see if I get example of that. And on the first shot, I asked, what is the name of the first ever AI art? And basically, I got wrong answer immediately, that it's portrait of Edmond de Balemi in 2018. The famous, the famous example here too is the Bard release just a couple months ago, when in the promo video for the release, they asked it something about like, hey, when was the first picture of like Neptune taken? And it cites a picture from 2004 from the James Webb Space Telescope. The Webb Telescope was launched last year. So it's like incorrect stuff. And then Google stock loses $100 billion in value because their tool is crap compared to, you know, <laughs> open AIs at the time. And this is why it's so dangerous to do live demos of this thing. And then, you know, right after new chat in, in ChatGPT, ask exactly the same question, it gives me correct answer. And the answer is Iron by Harold Cohen. And the thing is, because I studied art history and I also made a video about AI art, I knew that that's a correct answer. But if I didn't, and I saw the first answer I got, I would roll and be like, oh yeah, 2018, that's recent. But the truth is that this thing's been in the, in the making way before. And I think we're conditioned to trust the results of things. When we do a Google search, the basically the way their algorithm works is a page rank algorithm based on the keywords in the input. So it, the fact that it's presenting the top hits is something we've come to kind of trust when we get a response from a computer or maybe even an AI. So it's a, a kind of another level of conditioning we need to do. Yes. With these tools. But coming from marketing, there is another aspect of authority of these pages. So Google is smart enough to know which page has higher authority and trust and ranking and SEO. And this is why, you know, the whole SEO staffing and all these things happened. But in ChatGPT, you go, you ask a question, you get one singular answer. And there, there is an option to regenerate. And mm -hmm. I'm actually curious how many people play with this regenerate to see how many different answers you would get. From my personal experience, when I just started with ChatGPT, I didn't really use it unless it was completely not what I wanted. And I really enjoy now Google Sheets with GPT because on an absolute basic level, what it allows me to do is I ask prompt and basically I just drag it down. And I can immediately see how many different answers I would get. And then, you know, in another cell, I can be asking, like, creating new prompt and say, hey, what was the statistic 
done mentioned in this. And then pull it down and then I see 15 different statistics on the same question. And they're all different. Just to give you an idea too of like the totality of the number of responses these things are capable of, the different routes. If you shift to like a computer vision type of AI, these are generative AIs, another type of AI is computer vision. We see it in you know, our daily lives, you know, at the airport, if you get your hand, your thumbprint scanned to go through security or whatever, that's computer vision. But as one part of that, if you're using computer vision to say, recognize text, like it's called OCR, object character recognition, in a PDF, for example, just to have the ability to recognize the numbers zero through nine, right? A neural network needs over 13,000 connections to be able to accurately identify anytime someone writes, you know, in handwriting, zero through nine, all the different kind of combinations, permutations of that. So if that's just for 10 characters that we're talking about, it's really almost kind of like infinite. I mean, there's obviously a number, but it's either incalculable or totally not practical for any kind of regular use to keep regenerating till you find no, no. the right one. Yeah, that's why, you know, there is this smart prompting techniques with verifiers, with neural networks, with ranking. But again, not 99% of people are not going to use that. Yeah, I think some of this might be buoyed. We had a, I know you guys had a little discussion of some of the plugins last week that are coming online. And I think when you have the AI that can also reference the internet and do a few other things, okay, that shaves off some of these hallucinations, or at least their potential. It actually kind of brings up an interesting pivot into a different and newer emerging type of prompting that is coming online. And you may have heard that in our intro, and that is text-to-video prompting. And the reason I bring up the importance of eliminating hallucinations, I'm teaching myself right now how to use control nets inside a stable diffusion. You may have seen this popular video going around of some uh, Greek statues breakdancing. We'll post it in the description for the pod and in the YouTube comments. Since it's essentially kind of a technique where you can make, you know, anybody doing an action look like anything else, a kind of almost like a deep fake, but not just as a person, as any character, any background, the possibilities are endless. And when doing that, if because the possibilities are so vast and so broad, you want to go, okay, here's the stuff I need, a positive prompt, a regular prompt, what I want to see, but you want to have a equal length, or if not even more detailed, negative prompt. Right. So that's also maybe kind of a way to think about, okay, I want to eliminate these hallucinations. Telling it what you don't want is maybe a way to do that. Yeah. So one of the techniques is like instruction devising is as simple as including in your prompt instruction that you should not be biased. We should treat all people equally. And if you don't know enough of information, you should not assume this or that. And I think it's especially useful if you're touching sensitive topics. And I can't remember now, but there is a research paper which we're going crazy with all different types of biases and exposing how these models are actually realistically are leaning one side or another side. It makes sense. If it's trained on the totality of the internet, for example, and you're asking it to evaluate three different resumes for a position and say that job that job category was primarily dominated by a certain sex in the past. That's what the model was trained on. So it's naturally going to go, well, in the past, it was all of these type of people, it was only women or only men. So I, when evaluating these three new ones, I'm naturally going to pick 
the ones that look like the ones in the past. Yeah, and that reminds me from the panel discussion someone asked, and in German, and I understood it, so that's cool. The question was, you know, about this factor that if it's learning on internet and what we knew, and now new models are going to learn also on AI-created content on the internet. So where is this leading us? We are just embracing and encoding the biases from the past into these new models and new training data. And the guy who was sitting next to me, he is a big CEO of a company and very brilliant person. And his answer was that, yeah, we kind of don't have a solution to that now. Yeah. And if any of the listeners know, please hit us up. That would be a really interesting discussion to have. You know, how do we solve this? How do we debias? Yeah, we debias and I think there is all type of AI risks. And I think one of them should be what we should consider is the social aspect. What we are going to teach generations in 20 years. So maybe having models that are like you guys discussed as well, smaller, more open source, more refined, as opposed to a mile wide, inch deep GPT-4 model, something that is much more narrow, but much more in depth on specific topics that can consider, you know, both sides of an argument answer factually. I think I actually saw a graph recently. It was a quad chart that had, it's basically this, there's this test to see what political affiliation you have in the U.S. Is it right or left? Are you more compassionate or more, you know, kind of stern, right? And they run a ton of different questions through GPT-4, and it actually leans a certain way. It's like it leans a little left and compassionate based on all its responses. So that's a perfect example of bias because you would want that thing to land dead in the middle. And as a means to say, okay, well, all of its responses. I th didn't you mention on one of the earlier pods, if you type in, hey, uh, give me an opinion of American President Joe Biden, and then give me an opinion of American President Donald Trump, the Joe Biden opinion is longer. So like, that's a perfect example of some bias already kind of baked into these systems. Right. This was because I read about this example. In my video with Prom Perfect, this is what I was curious to, to use because I asked a simple question. Who is better president, Joe Biden exactly. or Donald Trump? And I was just curious what you get. So automatic answer is like, as a large language model, I don't, you know, you immediately hit a limitation. The defensive letters. Exactly. But then I placed exactly the same prompt in prompt perfect, got optimized version, and then run that. And I didn't hit as a large language model. It went into, you know, comparing and evaluating. And it's interesting. I saw in my YouTube comments, some people actually went and read because I included, went and read the whole comparison. And the comments were that, yeah, you can feel that it's leaning towards to one's one or another mm -hmm. side. And that's just, you know, there, I think there will be an entire field of people and researchers and defensive measures on deep biasing these models. It kind of is what it is at this point. But the first step in addressing any problem is recognizing it and defining it. So hopefully we can continue to do that. Yeah. And, you know, we can actually share a couple of techniques. Do you use any for fact checking or debiasing the model? So this is actually a perfect example of something that I've been trying to develop, mainly for the text-to-video prompting, where you need that deep negative prompt to kind of shape your output. So negative prompting in the sense of, hey, tell it the stuff you don't want it to see. Give it the instructions of, like, I don't want you to include any political affiliations or bias. It must be neutral and centered. 
I don't want it to take a first person perspective either way, you know, uh, or even having the prompt argue both sides and then have a third kind of agent within that prompt, you know, say, okay, well, based on this, I can say this argument was stronger. This argument was stronger. So yeah, negative prompting is a definite solid way to at least start to get a more refined, less biased answer. Right. From my side, what I found out, which is interesting. So, you know, I made this video about critic mode. Yeah. And at that time, it was something I was using, but I did not see research. And I remember in Learn Prompting, I even asked our group who is consuming research papers for breakfast. I asked if there is any and didn't get any example at the time. But now I saw a couple and this basically large language self-evaluation. And the basic approach is as simple as asking after you receive an answer, do you really think this is the correct answer? And it immediately I was like, oh yeah, like that's what in a similar manner I was using act as a harsh critic, criticize this and convince me why it's wrong. And this is where it gets interesting because I tell it explicitly to convince me. And I see what kind of language it uses to convince that what it just gave me as truth, it's not truth. And it's actually looking for more information. Mm -hmm. And another example is constitutional AI. And this is what we saw in AutoGPT doing this, you know, criticizing, providing criticism, reasoning. So that's already embedded in the whole model or agent for that matter. And another one, simple one, is when you use examples. Yeah. And I actually made this mistake before I learned it. Remember I told you that I provide real-life examples of my YouTube titles and I see which ones work, which ones not. But what I was doing, I was doing kind of linearly from the oldest to the recent. And some of them are like good, bad, like it's random. And this, when you're providing examples, the order and distribution matters a lot. Mm-hmm. And now I completely fixed the whole thing up. So, you know, that a good amount of titles is equal to bad amount of titles. So it's, I'm not steering the model to one side or another, but also not to have stacked good and stacked bad, but you have to do good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. And this is like, in a sense, such a simple technique. It makes sense. But I don't think many people maybe know about this, you know? Yeah. And I, I use plenty of few shots, which is, you know, giving some examples of an output. I have a prompt that helps make me mid-journey prompts, you know, using ChatGPT, put in a couple keywords, it outputs some very poetic language. But I think a way to make that even better moving forward, you know, you mentioned having better titles and then not so good titles. What if you had two sets of few shots? That one was a positive. Hey, he's, these are good. And these are bad examples. I want you to steer away from it. So this is the same way of thinking what you just said with prompting text to video, that you provide positive prompt and then you provide negative prompt. I'd love to give you an example of one that recently I've been working on. So I'm trying to get a just a person right in some sci-fi armor looking a certain way. So the positive prompt is a woman standing in front of a pool, sci-fi armor, cyberpunk, art station, and I'm giving some weights to each of these two. So it's like colon 1.1, colon 1.3. So that's just adding some different weights I wanted to consider. Art station, epic realistic, HDR, dark shot, intricate details, intricate cinematic details. All right, so that's what I want. But what I 
don't want to see, and this is the negative prompt that I've been learning to try to add more, and it's kind of important when you think about it for image, and especially now for text-to-video prompt that's going to be more prevalent. My negative prompt is deformed, distorted, defigured, poorly drawn, bad anatomy, wrong anatomy, extra limb, missing limb, floating fingers, mutated hands, disconnected limbs, mutation, mutated, ugly, disgusting, blurry, amputation, flowers. I don't know why I had flowers now. I think some of the first generations had wasn't getting it in front of just like a swimming pool. It was getting in front of a bunch of flowery fields. But like, that's all examples of stuff I don't want it to produce. So I'm saying like, you know, it, it, it's going to find the, these models are going to find the path of least resistance often. Easiest way to get to A to, you know, A to Z by answering. But uh, by giving it that negative example, especially with image prompting, especially with now text to video, it'll help get you a better result sooner, I'm finding. And it's almost like a requirement for these text to video prompts to make anything even usable. This is so funny that you brought this up because in my keynote, I was touching also on my journey, on web development, using prompting, giving examples. And one of the examples was exactly how to fix deform. So I was just running through small tips for my journey. And one of them was this long prompt doing the negative and exactly saying some of the things you mentioned. And one was like cross-eyed, undead, photoshopped, overexposed, mm-hmm. underexposed, low res, bad anatomy, bad hands, and it keeps going. And it does magic. It outputs really good improved results. So you don't have to go back and forth, back and forth with my journey trying to figure out, okay, what's wrong? How do I fix this? But you immediately with the first prompt, you can think to prevent what could be as an issue. Yeah. And ultimately, I think to, to put a bow on this, it's like, all right, to get a better less biased, more accurate prompt, maybe put equal weight on what you want and what you don't want to see. Amen. Amen. That's a good a place as any for me to end up this week. So with that, for go to go for West the Synth Mind, I wish you all happy prompting, everybody. Happy prompting, everybody. Thanks for listening to How to Talk to AI with your hosts, go to go and West the Synth Mind. As always, you can check out the show notes and links at howtotalkto.ai. That's all for this week's episode. Happy prompting, everyone.